This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Thank you. Today we're continuing a discussion on impact parenting, the essential guide to raising complex kids, written by Elaine Taylor-Klaus. And Elaine uh, does coaching and online coaching groups um, and has developed a very effective model to move from parent as directing things, parent as executive function, to parent supporting the child and being able to do those things themselves and move on to independent action. Elaine, welcome back. Thank you. Always happy to be here with you. I thank So just a quick review on the impact model, the six steps of it. You want me to to do a quick overview of the model? Okay. So the bottom line of the model is the model is based on on the principles and strategies of the world of coaching. So it's kind of a coaching framework for change management, and coaching is, is, is all about creating lasting change. And so the first step in the model is to take aim, to get very clear on the change that you want to see as specifically as possible. So instead of taking aim on mornings, you might take aim on getting your teeth brushed in the morning. So really narrow in on one change at a time because tiny habits create lasting change. Um, Once you've figured out what you want to work on, and ideally we'll get to this in a little bit, get some collaboration with your kid on it so that they know they're working towards more independence on something. Um, Then you move into step two, which is getting data, collecting information. Um, This is when we, the tool we teach here is getting curious, really understanding what's going on in the whole dynamic and how our kid is responding to it and how we're responding to it, or maybe the teachers or siblings or other people, really looking at the context of of the challenge you're facing. Then step three is the planning phase that in general it's planning, and then we have four cornerstones that we encourage people to look at when they start planning. Um, in, in a nutshell, they are, one is activate the brain, understand that this is a brain-based pro- challenge you're facing. Two That's is to do it from a positive perspective. Brain. Yes. Well, sometimes it's the parents, but usually it's the child. Right. An example of that might be if they're running out of steam at the end of the day, maybe doing some, some push-ups or running around or having some protein snacks before you start homework. That might be a part of a plan to activate the brain if you're trying to work on homework. Mm-hmm. So activate the brain is one cornerstone. Another is positivity, really creating a strength-based positive environment, um, really leaning into the relationship. A third is to... Um, set realistic expectations to meet our kids where they are developmentally. And, and we often say, meet them where they are and raise the bar from there. And we'll talk about that more when we talk about the four phases. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth is to create systems and structures in the context of all of those others. So in the realm of ADD, we have a tendency to create systems and structures in a vacuum. And what we really want to do in this model 
is to make sure that we're creating a system or a structure that we're clear what the problem is we're trying to solve and that we're doing it with an understanding of the brain and reasonable expectations and positivity. And, I want to and then step five is... Kind of, back up go ahead. To emphasize the uh, meet your child where the child is in mm -hmm. shifting expectations. And many people, of course, many books on parenting and things, look at age. Well, your child is in fifth grade. Your child is now 14. And we know with kids with ADHD, at least emotional development is about two or three years behind that. And executive mm -hmm. functions and things may also. So instead of looking yeah. at, oh, my child's getting ready for middle school, we go on all these advice things on a 12-year-old. No. Take a look and see, um, assess from talking with other parents, seeing other kids in the grade, maybe asking teacher, oh, maybe my child's really nine and a half or ten. We'll mm -hmm. start there. Yeah. We're looking at developmental age rather than chronological age. And it's an important difference for these kids. Mm -hmm. Right? So... And, and that's exactly what we'll come back to. Let me just finish the model really quickly. After we get a plan in place, then we take action on the plan. And then the next step, the last step, which is the most important, is what we call rinse and repeat. Is we encourage parents to start with the assumption that whatever plan you're going to put in place probably isn't going to work right the first time. So, you know, let's let's assume that it's not going to hit it 100% and so that we're going to rinse and repeat and say what worked, what didn't work, what do we want to try differently. And we're going to keep trying on the same plan for a little bit before we throw up our hands and give up, right? We want to we want to help make the system work instead of just trying something and having it not work and getting frustrated. And then the last piece of all of this is that we always want to pay attention to the self-care of parents in the context of this and make sure that Everything we do, we're paying attention to taking care of ourselves as parents and keeping our fuel tank full. Because when we get depleted, when we get agitated and angry and lose our calm, it prevents us from being able to problem solve effectively with our kids. So that's the model in a nutshell. And that care for self goes through all the first five. That's got to be. Exactly. It's got to permeate everything. Yes. Yes. So what we're going to do now is start at um, the earliest of the developmental stages and look um, at the phase of parenting as it applies in that stage and work through uh, kind of the same issue each time. Uh, mm -hmm. Great. Our favorite, getting homework done. Yeah. That's certainly a, a very common one. Yeah. A lot of frustration on both sides. Child and parent. Yep. So when we have younger child, I don't think it's right to give kindergartners homework, but we grew up a long time ago, so I guess things are supposed to be different now. Um, I'm kind of with you on that. I'm voting with you. So first grade, we have some homework to do. How, how would a parent, well, the parent at this point is serving as the executive function of the child, directing the action and the plan and everything else. 
So what does that look like? Well, so so if I before I apply it to that situation, if I can sort of pull back okay. and look at the context of, of our role as a parent, right? Our role as a parent is to is to guide our kids to become independent, to empower them to begin to to learn how to problem solve for themselves, how to learn to make decisions, ultimately then how to learn to make better decisions, but they're not always going to make the best decisions right away. Mm-hmm. And so the the phases of parenting that we talk about are really, it's about the parent, not about the kid, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's about how do we interact with our kids to cultivate their independence a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more every step of the way, no matter what age they are. And so it's going to look different for a three-year-old than a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. But but even with a three- or four-year-old, we start off, as you say, in director mode. That's phase one. Every parent starts there. Our kids are completely helpless. As humans, we humans are born as completely helpless babies. So the parents have a lot to do for the first several years. We direct, we motivate, we inspire, we create a safe environment. We all start off as directors. The challenge with kids with ADHD is a lot of parents get stuck there. So let me, let me explain the four phases first, just generally, and then we'll go through in more detail. So phase one is the director. We're all familiar with that. Phase two is to begin to move into collaboration. And if you think about it this way, phase one is about the parent's agenda. The parent has the agenda that the child is going to do whatever needs to be done, whether the family is going to do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. When we may move into phase two, collaboration, we're now beginning to share the agenda. So it's no longer just me that wants you to do your homework. It's you know you have homework to do and you take responsibility for that, and I'm going to help you create an environment to make that happen. So we're going to collaborate. No longer me saying do your homework. It's me saying, what do you have for homework today? So that, so that you're sharing the agenda. And then as the kids get older or more developed in a particular area, sometimes even really young kids are ready for this if they're really into something like a sport or an activity. Um, we move into phase three, which is the support phase. So what's happening here is it's no longer our agenda. It's actually our kids' agenda, and we're supporting them in it. So, you know, typically this happens in as kids become teenagers, but it can, you can have an eight- or a nine-year-old who's really into their sport, and they, they're owning it, and as parents, we're, they're ready for us to move into support role. So it's not an age-dependent thing. So phase one is direct. Phase two is to collaborate, sharing the agenda. Phase three is to support them in their agenda. And then phase four is champion. That's where we all want to get. That usually doesn't happen until way later in the game when their kids are really fully developed and on their own. And even that, you know, it, it takes some time for, for kids even well into their 20s to become independent enough for us to fully move into this role with them. And that's the, you know, champion. And this is, this, we want them to come to us for sage advice and wisdom as adults. That's, that's championing. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to back up a little bit when you said in the support role that um, that one kid who's into sports and really 
likes it so much that yeah, he's going to have his shoes ready and his uniform ready, and he's all set. He knows what time practice is and those things. But he might yep. do that with figuring out I have to clean homework. The homework. <laughs> you know, right. The homework. So that kids can right. be in different stages of what they need, whether it's a collaboration it's, or a support. Exactly, because it's not about the kids. It's it's exactly what you just said. It's about what the kid, what stage the kid needs the parent to be in. So it's really important. This is not about phases of kids. It's about phases of parenting. Our kids sometimes need us to step in a little bit more, and sometimes need us to back off a little bit. And that's what the four phases are about. Exactly. Exactly. And it's complicated because when our kids have ADHD and they have challenges with executive function, oftentimes we as parents create a story that they can't do these things, so we have to do it for them. Mm, And we get stuck in director mode. And then the kids are, like, happy to have us in director mode for a while because then they don't have to do it until they hit teenage years. And then all of a sudden they rebel and they want you know, nothing to do with you because you haven't gone through the process of teaching them, of moving through your stages of learning to collaborate and teaching them to collaborate with you because that's a little harder than just directing them through it. Mm-hmm. But I, if I can give you an example, I was talking to a mom in one of our groups today. Um, we have, we have, for our members, we hold something called office hours with Anybody in our community can just call in and ask questions and talk to us and get some laser coaching. And so I was talking to a mom of a 16-year-old kid who is new to our community, new to our programs, and is trying to learn how to get out of director mode and into collaborator mode. And so she decided she wanted her son to clean his room because she thought it would create a better environment for him, be less distracting for him, which is not untrue, but it was completely her agenda. She was driving the whole thing. He said, sure, you can do it as long as I can sit here on my laptop. So it wasn't exactly a collaborative experience. She was directing. So we were talking about how do we make it more collaborative. If you're going to, you know, I would have another conversation with her about maybe taking aim on something else and, and, you know, finding something where you can share an agenda. But let's just stick with this example for a minute. So how could you make it more collaborative? Well, she could start asking him what he thought about what he wanted to keep and what he didn't, or where did he want things to go, or would you like to have all your technology in one place? Where could you imagine it going? So she could start asking questions that would make it more collaborative and bring him into it. It would give him a sense of agency and ownership so that he'd be more inclined. If you put something in a drawer and say, your, she- your shoes are in there, your-, your socks are in there, he may or may not put his socks in the drawer. But if he says, you know, I really want my socks in this drawer, he's much more likely to put his socks in the drawer because now he owns it. What if he doesn't even buy into the idea of, my room's fine, I'm doing okay. And from my well, you know, perspective, I say, it's a, you know, let's, let's gather some data, or, are you able to find the things you want to remember last week when you didn't have clean socks or you couldn't find um, something you were going to take to school and your room was a jumble? And that kind of upsets you that you couldn't find it. 
What about exactly you know, by the way you can know where things are? So what you're speaking to is this this notion of of agency, right? It, what's in it for him? Because we have a tendency to say it would be good for you if yeah. I if I clean or you clean to your room, right? But what we really need is is to ask the questions, as you say, to help him get to a point where he says, okay, I don't want to do it, but I guess I really would like to have my room cleaned up. Can you help me with it? That's a very different place to come from. In this mm-hmm. case, my hunch is it's this particular mom, given that he's 16 and she's just starting to learn to collaborate, she probably would do well to take aim on something else other than the room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we know that it would be nice if our kids had a nice clean room, but it's, there are a lot of places that we could choose to put our attention. I used to have a deal with my kids that was, if you want me to come in and say goodnight, there needs to be a clear path from the door to the bed so I don't kill myself. There you go. That was it. You know, the room was their domain. If they wanted it to be a nightmare, that was their choice. I tried to have other places for them to do homework so they weren't doing homework in the room mm-hmm. if they had a room like that. Because um, I, I try, I mean, it's different with COVID, but I tried very hard not to have kids do homework in the room because you want the room to be their bedroom, not their schoolroom. I had one kid who insisted, but that was, a, you know, that came later and it was his agenda and I let him do it because that's what he really wanted, you know. Um, so it's really knowing that you're on, that they're listening, know, having them know that you're listening and that you're having an engagement with with their agenda, and it's not just you imposing your agenda on them. Mm-hmm. That's the shift from phase one to phase two, and it's the hardest shift to make. Mm-hmm. But once you make it, it you begin to, to learn to collaborate with each other in all kinds of ways, and it can go for years and years and years of success. I mean, I was talking to another mom, that same group this morning, with a six-year-old, and we were, and this this kid was ready for her to collaborate with him on creating a bedtime routine that works for him. Right. So, you know, 16-year-old, we're talking about a room. Six-year-old, we're talking about bedtime. Both kids, the strategy was the same. It was time for the parent to stop directing it completely and to start bringing, bringing the kid into the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite parenting questions to ask when parents are struggling with something is, well, have you asked your child? Yeah. <laughs> And very often the answer is no, you know, and that's a good sign that, that the kid's ready for you to start collaborating. Mm-hmm. So here we've got the, the director mode of homework. I mean, sure, I'll make sure you have the pencils, the paper, you have a um, yep. good place to work and... I'll be close by, so if you need help with the actual homework, you know, you can ask me. The parent is making sure all the planning and the materials and um, the, the backup uh, is all there. And then yeah. the shift is maybe asking, well, what kind of things do you think you're going to need to be able to do your homework? Do you need paper? Can I find you some Exactly. Pens? Yeah, what kinds of pens do you like? What kind of notebooks do you like? Anything that gives them a sense of 
of their own agency and awareness. It, it, I know it sounds crazy, but choosing school supplies is a problem-solving process. Mm-hmm. And if we see everything as a way, and I don't mean problem as in wrong, it's just life is about problem-solving. Life is about creating processes. And if we see everything as an opportunity with our kids to help them cultivate process, to see the patterns in their lives, to see the sequences. We have kids who tend to struggle with executive function, which very often means that they struggle with sequencing and prioritization and putting things in order and seeing what comes before next. I mean, heck, I've got a, a you know, 50-something-year-old husband with ADHD, who really struggles with sequencing. It's a big challenge, right? And so sometimes it's about, wait a minute, this has to happen before that. And so helping kids, exposing kids to that process and helping them see it as young kids helps them learn those skills in a way that a lot of us with, with ADD who didn't know it as kids never learned. Yeah. And for instance, in terms of what kinds of pens do you like, that may be going school shopping or we're going to go shop for things you need for school as soon as kids hear school shopping and they go, okay, she wants me to pick up pants and socks and who's going to be a pain in the neck. Instead, it's let's go and then the question, what kind of pens do you like get to pick? So the child learns, okay, if I'm going to have pens to use at home, I have to make that choice when I'm in the store. Right. Well, and think about it. Our kids often have sensory issues. They often have learning disabilities. They often have dysgraphia, challenge with writing. Um, I have one kid who had a really, who had needed some uh, occupational therapy for grip and holding the pen. Yep. So some pens definitely work better for them than others. Yeah. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but you know, I have one kid who had these, these things we put on the ends of pencils, these grippers. Yep. For years and years and years, it made all the difference in the world in her ability to write. Mm-hmm. One of my uh, patients is also a she's a first grade teacher, and so they're looking at can you at least write a sentence? And she said this one poor guy, he it's almost like he wrote the sentence and everything was on top of each other, all the letters, and just could not. Mm-hmm. She thought, okay, he needs more sensory. So she got an old-fashioned yeah. typewriter, which he had to really push on the keys. He said the first day he got that, he wrote out four sentences in a row, and they all fit together. So right, because the challenge wasn't cognitive. It was motor. Yeah. Uh, and he had more action going on, and you know, his grip could have been part of it. He didn't have to worry about how to shape the letters. But he got the thought down right. on paper that was readable, and that's the key part. Right. So, so if we go back to the four phases with that example, we could say to this kid, well, he, you need to use this pen or you need to write this certain way. Or we could go into collaboration. We could say, well, let's talk about what's struggling. It looks to me like your letters are on top of each other. Right? What, what's happening? Are you having a hard time? Like, ask him some questions and say, and then you can make a suggestion in that stage to say, I have an idea. Would you like to try this old typewriter? Then you've got a kid who's like, yes, I'm in. <laughs> You're trying to solve my problem instead of me trying to solve your problem. 
right? And that's the yeah. shift. Okay, and so it's it's proposing a change. What would you think about using a typewriter instead of? Well, I think you'd probably be better using a typewriter. Exactly. I think you should use a typewriter as director mode. What would you think about trying a typewriter is collaboration mode? And then support mode would be, it seems like you do really well with a typewriter. How can I help you make sure you have one at home? Mm -hmm. Or would you like some help getting one? Or do you want one for your birthday or you know, whatever it is? Now, some kids are going to say, what's a typewriter? Well, okay, that's fair. <laughs> but I learned yeah. to type. I'm one of those old typewriters with it, you know, where you really had to hit it hard. So, um, and maybe that's and it, not the best example for the modern world. But, but key, keyboarding. Keyboarding and typewriter. The typewriter is a very different sensory experience, and some kids need that pressure on the keys. And, um, and of course, watching the... the come up out of the row and strike the paper. Yeah. I used to love type. I was back in the day, I got to admit. I didn't like doing it at 4 a.m., so I finished the paper, but <laughs> that was my problem. Yeah. Putting it off. Again, undiagnosed ADD in the old days. Mm -hmm. So we're at, uh, we moved into the collaboration mode. Then what signs are there or how do you figure it out gee maybe it's time to get into more of the support and what does that look like well so once you're in collaboration the, the keystone here is to ask a lot of questions is to try not to direct but to ask a lot of questions and what happens is your kids will begin if you're really collaborating they will naturally begin you'll begin to see them take more and more ownership take more and more autonomy and and I'm not talking about the kid who says get out of my face I've got it mom right? right that's a kid who you've probably been directing for too long who just wants you to get out of the way but they don't have the skills yet if you've been collaborating you're helping them build the skills so that they are ready to start taking things along on their own so that they are ready to start having agency. And like my, my memory, so here's an example, a homework example. So my, my middle kid had both ADHD and dyslexia. And so for many, many years, I scribed for her. I would, you know, write down. So early on, when we were collaborating, we would sit down and every day after school and kind of write out what her homework was, and I would write for her because, as she was telling me. And then as she got older and was really owning it all more on her own, she would do it on her own. And then some days she would come in and she'd say, I'm really overwhelmed. Can you come scribe for me? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I mean by I'm no longer, it's not my agenda. I'm now supporting her in her agenda. Mm -hmm. She's asking for the help. And a big part of phase three is teaching them that life is about learning how to ask for help. Yeah. And the asking for help is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what success in life comes from. So teaching them that it's okay to get support. Maybe it's, it's you helping. Maybe it's asking them what supports are there at school. 
Um, are there, does your teacher have office hours? Do you think that would be helpful if you talk to them? Not, you should go talk to your teacher at office hours. Yes, That's here. director. Yeah. Right. And a collaboration in that conversation might be, sounds like there's an email you need to write to your teacher. Would you like some help with that? Mm -hmm. Right. And then the third would be, well, how do you want to communicate with your teacher? Or a, or a kid coming in and saying, I've written this email to my teacher. Can you read it before I send it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's stage three. So it's kind of a natural evolution. And you don't really realize you're, you're there until you're there. Because remember, you're, you're responding to what your kid needs. It's not about you. It's about how you respond to what they're ready for. Right. And, but I think your playbook, the Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids, is an excellent foundation. It gives information. It gives a structure. Uh, and lots of good examples on how to apply things. So as parents, just as with, <laughs> essentially the book can be the director and they get more comfortable with doing it and trying it. Um, and then can uh, the book or you or another coach becomes their support and they're getting more confident in working through these things. Exactly, and, and doing it with support is a huge piece. Don't try to do this alone because this is hard stuff. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So until next time, so long.